0: For years, BreweryDB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery knowledge and responsible for mapping millions of visits to breweries all across the United States. In early 2021, BreweryDB revealed a whole new platform with all new features for craft lovers to plan their unique brewery experience. Find, filter, search, and route your way to breweries worldwide and in your own neighborhood. To take full advantage of the optimized power of BreweryDB and to increase your brew knowledge, visit brewerydb.com, your digital destination for brewery experiences. Good Beer Matters shares the stories of craft and culture found in every glass, and I'm excited to announce that the Good Beer Matters podcast and BreweryDB are collaborating this year to help you get to the bottom of it. Visit us at brewerydb.com and goodbeermatters.net to finally have the experience you've been missing. My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters.
1: Probably each one of us already does one thing or more to keep patrons and each other safe, but what we don't do is sit down and talk about it. I don't think it means that there's something wrong with the industry. I think it's just a reflection of the greater society. What's necessary is to increase the possibility of safety for the person being targeted, and that's it.
0: One of the things we all love about beer is it's inherently diverse with styles coming from a wealth of cultures. Yet somehow we have difficulty extending the same ideology to other people. This problem has risen to the surface lately, but honestly, it's always been there. Like a weed, it's time to eradicate the root and sow the seeds of a better future for all. My next guest works to create this better landscape in the beer and service industries and will help you learn how to do your part. I've studied, traveled, and tasted my way through some of the best beer the world has to offer. Over the past few years, I've also spoken to beer industry leaders from around the globe. And one thing is certain, the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. There's a story of craft and culture found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 78 of Good Beer Matters with Lauren Taylor, executive director of Safe Bars. My next guest comes to us today to talk about a very, very, very important topic. That is loosely based in beer, but really all the service industry, and it's something that's been on all of our minds lately. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna dive into the topic of personal safety and sexual harassment and and how to do better. Um, but first of all, uh, I want to introduce my uh, guest, Lauren. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for coming to the podcast.
1: Thanks for inviting me.
0: Uh, it's my pleasure. Um, it, it's funny you and I had a conversation about this topic, thinking, you know, we, we need more of this. And then next thing you know, all of the social media and the beer industry just absolutely exploded over the same topic. So I think it's very timely. Um, mm-hmm. But, Lauren, will you uh, uh, officially introduce yourself and tell us about your background in beer, the service industry, and, and even in personal safety?
1: So my name is Lauren Taylor. I use the she pronouns or the they pronouns. I'm based in Washington, D.C., And I'm the director of Safe Bars, which um, helps hospitality spaces be safer, more respectful places to work and safer, more welcoming places to go out and have a good time. Um, I have been working for some number of decades now in ending gender-based violence. So that's how I came to this work. My uh, partners and colleagues in this work are... Primarily, um, hospitality folks, a lot of bartenders, um, people, other people who work in other parts of the industry, um, who bring in that kind of experience and expertise.
0: Excellent. Um, and again, this uh, this conversation, this uh, I'm sorry, this uh, greater conversation is long overdue. Um, and I've I've worked in the uh, bar and restaurants. Uh, off and on for a very, very long time, and and there were just so many bad behaviors that were just that were accepted as normal. And mm-hmm. um, um, but uh, but we'll dive into that a little bit further. That was just kind of set up. Uh, but tell us about Safe Bars. What exactly is Safe Bars?
1: Um, we're a nonprofit organization that primarily offers training. Uh, to um, share with people skills for stopping harassment, abuse, and assault in nightlife and hospitality spaces. Our, um, our core training is an active bystander skills uh, so that people who um, work in nightlife, people who work in nightlife already have a ton of skills around um, making sure everybody's having a good time, making sure their guests are happy and safe, um, so really, we just go in and um, and build on what they already know uh, to boost people's bystander skills. I, I honestly, having done this work for a long time, believe that most people want to do the right thing. Um, but often they are stopped by um, social norms like it's not my business um, or other kinds of internal barriers that are not, it's nothing wrong with us, it's just that what, what we've been taught by society. So what what Safevars does is share skills um, to help people overcome those barriers, to feel comfortable um, to uh, step up and say something or do something if they see something problematic. We also offer two other kinds of training, uh, one that's been uh, super necessary and um, useful during the pandemic, is we offer de-escalation training. Uh, what that means is, since uh, during the pandemic, uh, members of the public are treating service workers sometimes extra badly. Um, a lot of mask refusal, um, sometimes heightened racism or sexism, while the general public is, you know, stressed out, afraid, um, anxious. Uh, they take a lot of that out on people who work with the public. So we share de-escalation skills for, you know, hopefully calming down those members of the public uh, and keeping everybody safe. Um, And the other training that we offer is empowerment and self-defense. What that is, I think of the bystander skills as what you can do if you see someone being targeted and what empowerment and self-defense is, what you can do if you are being targeted, how to stand up for yourself uh, with words, and if worst-case scenario, um, how to hit and get to safety.
0: And it, the interesting thing, at least to me, uh, forgive me, to anyone listening. Um, I have heard just in the last two weeks, just the last two weeks alone, I've heard stories of of someone getting punched by uh, a guest i've heard of mm-hmm. um, bartenders getting spit at because they, mm-hmm. they couldn't make a drink because they didn't have the ingredients because of the supply chain you know all, all the stuff all the stuff that have, that COVID has affected um you know bartenders don't but they've been punched they've been spit at um, i talked to a woman who ran the food and beverage at a golf course uh who talked about not being sexually harassed by her coworkers, but the the members that come into this golf course um, making just just the uh, awful propositions and comments and, um, mm-hmm. and 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 her comment was, you know, I've I've been in this business long enough. I've I've learned to deal with it. I've learned to grow thick skin, um, which is which is a, a, a different conversation. You shouldn't have to. But what about all exactly. the young? What about all the young people who are starting this business and haven't developed those skills and um, and so uh, it it I, this this is the, the, I'm really looking forward to this conversation It's long overdue because we need to do a better job. Um, but the the question I have for you, safe bars, is who exactly is it for? Because it's easy to mm-hmm. think oh, this is for women. Um, but I know mm-hmm. I know men who have been harassed, maybe not sexually, but mm-hmm. there's a power struggle between employers and employees and 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 other coworkers have been there longer. Whatever it may be, there's a lot of dynamics there that are not healthy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are a lot. And, and the skills that we share um, pretty much apply to them all. So I'm going to answer your question about who who is safe bars training for in a couple of different ways. One is, um, it's for anybody who's in a position to see someone else being targeted. So that's everybody. right? It doesn't matter whether the harassment is patron to patron, patron to staff member, staff member harassing another staff member, or staff member harassing a patron. Um, What matters is that you are a witness or a bystander or in a position to say something or do something. that's with the bystander skills. When we're talking about the de-escalation or the empowerment and self-defense skills, um, absolutely, no matter who you are, you can use those skills to keep you and the people around you, whether they're patrons, coworkers, uh, you can keep them safe. Uh, that said, there is um, there is a gender piece that that um, is core to a lot of our work. Uh, uh, we know that anybody of any gender can be a harasser and anybody of any gender could be targeted for harassment. At the same time that we know, we also know that in terms of sexual harassment, um, the vast majority of harassers are men and the vast majority of people who are targeted are um, women and LGBTQ and non-binary people. So anybody can use the skills. Um, when we train, we uh, we use gender-inclusive language, meaning we're not talking about he did this and she reacted that way. We're talking about people, uh, regardless of gender. Um, and we recognize that it is women uh, who are disproportionately affected by this.
0: Understood. And, and just to be open and be honest, mm-hmm. um, I I have been... Um, I've worked in situations where employees were verbally abusive. The entire environment was mm-hmm. uh, based on fear. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and these weren't necessarily in bars or restaurants. So this can happen anywhere. Why, why have oh, you? Oh, absolutely. And this could happen especially to men and so my my quick little PSA is if there are any men listening to this and you have been um, verbally abused or, or mistreated or anything like that as well as all the women listening as well as uh, human beings if you're if you've dealt with this then then don't don't be macho don't think this is normal don't think well I'm tough I can take it you know deal with this in in a healthy way, and we're going to talk about what that means. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But why have you uh, kind of focused solely on the service industry and bars and restaurants?
1: Um, Because there is a um, social and cultural uh, intersection of sexual violence and alcohol. We all know and we're very, very clear in our trainings that alcohol does not cause sexual violence. Um, you can get as drunk as you want, and if there's not someone there who's willing to um, harass, abuse, or attack you, you will not be harassed, abused, or attacked. Um, uh, but at the same time, alcohol is used as an excuse by, um, by aggressors, like the I didn't know what I was doing, I was drunk kind of excuse. Um, and it is used uh, as a weapon, alcohol is used as a weapon to incapacitate people. Um, to target them. So, you know, trying to get somebody drunk so that they will be less likely to resist. Yeah. Um, uh, the the research on that is actually very interesting because what it shows is that um, if you are drunk, you're actually not less able to resist, but you are perceived as less
0: able to resist
1: so that aggressors are um, more persistent with someone that they perceive as drunk.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm going to need to process if that you if that you
1: show res- if you show resistance and you're not drunk, they're more likely to give up than if you are drunk and you show the same resistance.
0: Yeah, and 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 frankly, my goal has really never been to get drunk. But you know, those times in my life when I have had too much i have known what was going on. I've known what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, of course, we're slurred. we're we're slower. we um our reactions are slower, but but you have enough wherewithal to know that I shouldn't right. drive, and I certainly shouldn't be trying to do that um, right. Uh, right and and so that it's it's interesting that that is still used as an excuse when everybody knows that it's really not.
1: Right, absolutely. And um, one of the things that I think is most important about this dynamic, and we are looking at the sexual and gender dynamic piece of it here, is that um, uh, if you're drunk um, and you're – I'm I'm following up on what you're saying is being used as an excuse. If you're drunk and you're an aggressor and you're a man, it's I didn't know what I was doing. I was drunk, right? He didn't know what he was doing. He was drunk. So, you know, give him a pass. And I think I always think about Brock Turner in that the Stanford rapist, Mm. Um, because he was kind of the biggest um, national example where we heard that, you know, and he got six months and served three of them. Um, um, And then on the other hand, um, why did she do that? Didn't she know better? She was, you know, why did she get so drunk? She should have known better. So alcoholism and drunkenness are used to exonerate um, men and convict women of bad behavior. They can you know convict women of um, of of causing their own sexual assaults. Hmm. Um, so you know, so this is part of why the answer to your question is we're at the alcohol, we're at the intersection of alcohol and sexual violence. Um, alcohol, as I said, does not cause sexual violence, but there's a lot of cultural load that happens right at that place um so that's the reason why safe bars
0: and and so um you know one of the things uh you know we, we all kind of know we hear about it in the news from time to time but you know really the service industry um you know borders the the, um, dark world of, uh, illegal drugs and, and all this other stuff. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a very distinct border there where the, the two meet, uh, and some places, uh, they are one and the same. Um, and, and there are, you know, people who work in the service industry that, you know, make no joke about it. They, they or they're, they're more open that, you know, I went out and got high and did this and did that, whatever. And then I had to show up for my shift to start prepping the fish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is an aspect of the industry that has been accepted. Um, it's almost like, um, you know, working in the restaurant industry uh, in whatever capacity has almost been, in some respects, a refuge for uh, people who don't quite fit into nice and perfect, uh, shiny little society or or a refuge for those who... who um, typically have bad behavior, but they're accepted for it because of this mm-hmm. environment. Is is the root of this bad behavior and all these problems, um, is it rooted in the service industry or is a service industry also getting a bad rap?
1: I, I mean, I would say the service industry is getting a bad rap. Um, you can find uh, people who will uh, abuse people, commit sexual violence, or do some of the kind of talk toxic workplace behavior you were talking about, like verbal abuse, you can find them in every, every sector of society, every, every workplace. Um, I, I do think that um, I do think there is a piece about um, about uh, and I'm not quite sure how to articulate this, but there is a piece about the place where, um, where hospitality work in some ways sometimes can be sexualized um, and the rate and where the intersection of alcohol and sex is that people will often, um, uh, use alcohol to, um, lower their inhibitions to do things that they want to do anyhow. Um, but I, I certainly don't think that reflects on the industry or the people who work in it.
0: Okay. Then, then let me ask you this. Um, you know, th- of course there are, um, you know, men that, uh, that try and dress, uh, to impress. And there are women that try to uh, wear things a little bit more revealing to you know make more money. And and we know that that is part of the game that, that people play. But there are also restaurant chains that really play to the fact that we are going to hire only women and we're going to dress them in uh, just the bare minimum. And that is our mm-hmm. shtick. Um, what do you make of that in the context of all of this uh, sexual harassment and, and all the issues that we're dealing with today?
1: Um, I think it's an awful thing, and I wish we were not at a place as a society where that was a thing, um, but we are, and it's just a reflection overall of the society. And and part of it is a reflection of the, the particular, um, oddity is not the right word, but the particular setup of hospitality with the tipped minimum wage, right? Um, because, uh, there's no other or barely any other sector of the industry, of the economy where, um, where how much you make depends, um, you know, so much on what you're wearing or whether you are willing to flirt with somebody or put up with them asking for your phone number or all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh. You know, but I don't, again, that is particular to the hospitality industry with the tip minimum wage, but I don't think it means that there's something wrong with the industry. I think it's a, just a reflection of the greater society.
0: Gotcha. Um, then then, uh, what well, we kind of talked about, the industry is just, they, they tend to be prone to this stuff. Um, and it's not necessarily the industry's fault, uh, where where do you think it comes from? Why do you think um, uh, the bad behavior is just you know seems exceptionally more profound? And maybe I'm wrong, but it seems prof- uh-huh. exceptionally more profound in the service industry, and especially when uh, patrons um, the way that they talk to uh, servers. Mm-hmm. Why, why is why is that dynamic so profound in this industry? I've got a question for you. How are you engaging with your customers? Are you adding value or just vying for attention? If you have a business, then you are an authority and should be regarded as a partner in everyone's mutual success. But getting that message across in the first place, that's the trick. At Mountain Sea Media, I use education and storytelling to keep your brand on top of mind. So if you're done with ineffective marketing and want to create more impact, I want Mountain Sea Media to be your resource for high value branded content. Contact me at Jeremy at com to explore the possibilities. After all, it's your story. I'll help you tell it.
1: Well wow, there's a lot there. <laughs> um I would I, I, I would say a couple of things. One is um I'm not sure that it is mo- uh, more profound. Um, as I said, I think this goes on in every industry. You know, for a while there, you could say that it was the worst in Hollywood. You know, then you could say it was the worst in journalism. Um, you know, one you could say it's the worst in academia. Like one by one, the 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 power, the abuse of power, is being revealed in different settings. Um, but I really don't think that. Anywhere has a lock on being the most problematic at all. Um, uh, I do think that there are some things in the way that hospitality is structured in this country that um, might exacerbate it. So, um, uh, one is that that it often is a very sexualized work environment. People, um, uh, you know, people have to. Uh, Come very close to each other behind the bar. Um, there's a lot of touching that is not necessarily needed, but is normalized. Um, uh, so it's really a matter of, um, you know, stepping back and questioning why is why are people doing things that are sexualized. Like touching, um, like tipping, based on what you're wearing, uh, that uh, that we need to step back and take a look at. And you know, I mean, if it's up to me, and somebody put me in charge of the world, um, you know, uh, I would equalize some of these power imbalances uh, so that. Um, so that power can't be abused in this way, whether it's because somebody is the person giving the tip or whether it's because somebody is the boss or um, you know, somebody has control over someone else's shift or whatever. Um, uh, there's plenty of ways to hold power uh, or be in a role that has power that don't involve mistreating other people.
0: Imagine that world where, you know, you have power differences, but they're not abusive. Right. 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 Um, what are some of the, um, w- without getting too graphic, I don't want to trigger anyone who's listening mm-hmm. to this, but what are some of the common scenarios that that may uh, be indicative of a problem that, um, that, you know, servers or even bystanders may not recognize mm-hmm. or may not uh, realize what's mm-hmm. going on initially?
1: Well, one is um is what I just referred to is that there among coworkers and from management to staff, there's a lot of unnecessary touching that um a lot of staff members have told us over the years that they just put up with because it's part of the um nightlife culture or service industry culture um, uh, you know then there's more blatant things like um you know. Essentially, holding a tip hostage uh, for you know for a phone number or for you know or for give me a kiss or pull it pull down your mask so I can see your smile. There's all that kind of holding a tip hostage. Um, there's also things that management does, um, you know, um, because they essentially can control your your shifts or your income. So. Um, You know, I've heard some pretty wretched stories about um, coercion by managers or owners who, you know, where it's really clear that you can lose your job or lose your shift if you don't go along with what they want. Yeah, Um, yeah, so, you know, and then, of course, there's also patron-to-patron harassment, right? Like, mostly we've been talking about what happens to people who work in the industry, but there's also harassment of patrons mostly by other patrons and that's something else that you kind of have to have a trained eye to notice anything but the most blatant things you know the question the question to me on a lot of these things is is there consent because a lot of them if there was consent they would be fine right like if we're flirting because we're both into it it's fine if you're hitting on me and I'm not into it, then it's not fine. Um, if um, if you're if you want to go out for drinks after work, or you pass, we're both passing behind the bar, and you um, you know rub on me as you pass by, and um, I might argue that that doesn't belong in any workplace. But you know, if it's something that we both like and we're both into, and it's mutually fine, then that's Great, let it happen. But if it's, um, if I'm letting it happen because I don't know what else to do, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job, I don't want people to think I'm uptight, I need you to like me, I need you to, you know, give me my drinks so I can give them to guests on time, you know, all these reasons why I might not speak up, um, then it's not okay.
0: Now, for those patrons who are the perpetrators of this bad behavior, mm-hmm. uh, Mm-hmm. It, it seems that they are generally protected under the umbrella of the "customers always right" mentality in this mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. this country in this world. Um, what type of uh, mental uh, um, culture shift has to happen uh, so that these customers who are coming in and holding tips hostage for something uh, nefarious, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, at what point is it better to kick these people out? and and let them know mm-hmm. that this behavior will not be tolerated and run the risk of running guests away from your business how do you navigate that uh, difficult situation
1: well i think you're um exactly right that what's needed is a culture shift and and i i think that um it is unfortunate that You know, we have this motto and this practice of the customer is always right. Um, More and more places that we're working with um, are empowering their staff to set limits. Um, Whether it's uh, whether it's um, you know not working with a particular table and asking someone else to cover that table, um, or just to say like. That's not a behavior we tolerate here in this establishment. Um, uh, you know, letting, as management or owners, letting your staff know that you have their backs and that you value them as human beings and not just as labor, um, you know, or not just as money moneymakers. Um, I also think that, you know, yes, if you tell someone who's, doing bad behavior that they can't come back or, you know, that they can come back, but they can never do that again or whatever, um, you might be losing that customer. But I would argue that you're gaining a lot more customers um, because once you have a place that's safe and comfortable to be, um, more folks are going to want to be there. And if one person has a bad experience, uh, you know, being harassed by another guest or by a staff member, whatever, whatever, If they leave, if they're with friends, they leave. You know, that's three people who won't, who won't be back, and they'll each tell three friends, and that's like nine people who won't be coming to your establishment. So, I think it's better to err on the side of safety and respect, and that will be good for business rather than worrying about losing the one misbehaving patron.
0: And I can't remember where I read this, but I remember reading um, a story and kind of advice on how to handle that situation. And, mm-hmm. and, and the advice was just contrary to public opinion, but they said, you know, um, make make a point to be very public when you uh, mm-hmm. when you kick this bad behaving uh, guest out of your place, because that sends mm-hmm. a message to other bad behavior, uh, mm-hmm. bad behaving people that this is not for us. And it sends a message to everyone else. And they're like, hey, they're going to stand up for us and make this a safe place. Exactly. Um, it sounds like you you would condone that kind of that kind of experience
1: yeah so I mean we focus more on the second half of what you said, which is making sure that um guests know that this um that the staff at this establishment have been trained to have your back, that they want you to have you know a safe, respectful, and fun night out um, and so it's <clears throat> it's more of a carrot than a stick approach um and at the same time if as a staff member know that um, that the place is, try- is creating a safe and respectful workplace, um, so we just um, we we kind of, kind of want to um, draw people into the um, to the, to like I want to go to a place that's going to make sure I'm treated right, rather than um, the the kind of enforcement mentality that you know that has the list of barred people and. You know, uh, it's more of a it's more of a stick approach. I think you need both, but we emphasize more of the carrot.
0: Great, great. Um, I'm sure everyone's going to have their own little take on it, but but just uh, it seems like just letting people know that this will not be tolerated here for right. your, for, for right. your sake, so that you can come here right. and bring your children and everyone's happy and and have that good experience that we're really trying to go after anyway um right um, and you we so we briefly just kind of glossed over um i want to come back to it now but we talked about you know um dealing with you know differences of gender differences of orientation differences of uh, Mm -hmm. race and culture Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. kind of a simple question with a very complicated answer does diversity lead to more problems or does it within a uh the confines of like a bar or restaurant or does it lead to more solution
1: um i i i'm not a um i'm not a diversity expert um and and i and even from my position as a, not a diversity expert i, I kind of don't think that's the right question okay i mean we live in a diverse world right that you know we differ along all kinds of axes, right? And some of them are, are social and demographic, like gender, race, sexual orientation, immigration status, ability. Those are the ones that are, um, you know, that where there's a dynamic where um, people are oppressed or have less power or treated poorly based on their identity, Um There are lots of other kinds of diversity. You know, there's personality diversity. There's geographic diversity, you know, that don't necessarily have that kind of power and balance attached to it. But no matter what, you know, sort of um, axis of diversity you're looking at, um, it's everywhere. And we live in a diverse world, and I don't think we do. I think we do harm to each other, and we don't do any favors if we try and make that different than it is um for me the central principles have to do with um you know respect and integrity and um uh fairness um uh and those apply no matter who's around you
0: i i seem to think that um we can let uh You know, within the narrow focus of of why we're all gathered here today about beer and restaurants and food, if if we were to take the uh, uh, the lead from all the diverse styles and flavors of beer and all the diverse flavors and styles of food, and and Mm -hmm. just recognize that that makes our world so much more interesting. Than than you know drinking a soda and eating a a burger every single day because there is no difference <laughs> right. just just the sheer fact that you can go have a different beer and different food if that doesn't mm-hmm. lead you, lead you to conclude that we are better when we have more diversity mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I I struggle with that I you know yeah I I I think we can take we can take lead from just the obvious signs mm-hmm. that diversity works mm hmm
1: mm hmm
0: what do you struggle with about it oh just uh that you you'll have people that um you know you know in my neighborhood um uh, i there's well no my neighborhood is actually pretty diverse which is which is great but you know a lot of neighborhoods people want to live by people who look like them they want oh yeah they right. they want right. to you know they're more comfortable when they kind of have a foundation of like i i get you when i just see you and mm-hmm. and um and it's not often that we're going to go to another table of people that do not look like us and say, "Hey, what are you guys doing? What are you drinking? You want to hang out?" Right? That, right? That doesn't right. often happen. But, but right. in the, but if we took the lead from beer and food alone, let alone mm-hmm. music and sports mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever mm-hmm. else you want mm-hmm. to say, it's just the signs are there. It's obvious. We right. we're better right. when we mix things up. Right. Totally. Uh, so. Um, So I kind of want to circle back around to safe bars. So Mm -hmm. um, tell us about uh, some of the things you teach in the seminars or classes that you put on.
1: Um, So as I said earlier, um, people who work in hospitality, especially those who work front of house, uh, you know, with customers, uh, already have a lot of skills around making sure everybody's having a good time and enjoying their food and drink. Um, you know, feeling comfortable. uh, And so we just build on those skills uh, to make sure that included in that is an eye for everybody's safety, not just physical safety, but emotional well-being. um, And that, uh, you know, if there is uh, uh, any kind of uh, sexual contact, uh, you know, whether it's flirtation or anything more, that it's that it's consensual, enjoyable to everybody who's part of it. Um, So we teach, um, uh, we teach part, the first part of the training is a lot about what does sexual violence look like? And we're not just talking about sexual assault at the, you know, the highest end of the spectrum, the worst case scenario. but We're also talking about things that are lower key and might be easier to overlook. um, Like someone. Staring at someone or someone following someone around the establishment, um, or someone you know, um, uh, unnecessarily putting their hands on someone like as they're passing by or on the dance floor, um, where it doesn't they don't need to be touching um, and they haven't checked to make sure that it's okay. So lower key things, um, uh, recognize being able to recognize them um, and kind of suss out or even ask directly whether it's okay what's happening with the people who are involved um and then so that's the first part of the training is just understanding the dynamics of sexual violence what it looks like how to spot it when it's in its very low phases um and uh knowing that there are things that you can do um part of a safe first training that i always think about is that You know, say we have 15 staff members in this establishment, Um, probably each one of us already does one thing or more to keep um, patrons and each other safe, but what we don't do is sit down and talk about it, because we just don't have time, and a lot of places don't even have staff meetings, and even if we do have a staff meeting, it's not usually a topic there. So part of what happens in our trainings is just that it's a chance for folks to talk about it. And even if we weren't sharing additional skills with you, um, you're doing a skill swap with your coworkers. You're learning what they do um, and building your toolbox. Um, And then we do offer um, additional skills in the bystander workshop. Um, uh, I don't know if anybody's heard about some of the basic tools of um, bystander. Bystander intervention, but um, you know things like uh, creating a distraction or um, you know directly checking on what's going on. Uh, we we offer we offer countless suggestions and creative ideas, and the folks who are in the training offer their countless suggestions and creative ideas, and then we do a lot of practice um, so that you know you won't be. Using skill in a stressful situation while you're working for the first time you've you will have practiced it and it comes out of your mouth more
0: easily so um i'm something is resonating with me and and in a past mm-hmm. life i worked i worked in an ambulance for a little while, and one of the mm. things that I learned and, and still keep with me is. Uh, when entering a situation with a domestic dispute, um, granted, you know, working in mm-hmm. an ambulance, we always sent the cops in first because there's a safety thing going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. But in a bar situation, uh, one of the things I learned is you never get in between the couple that's fighting because uh, almost all the time they're going to turn around and they're going to, you know, go after you. Um, so how can a bystander, how can a server mm-hmm. or a bartender safely mm-hmm. stand up to people who are mistreating others?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, standing between two people, um, is definitely not, uh, one of the first things that you would try. (laughs) Um, uh, I also really want to distinguish, um, fighting from what we're talking about. So a lot of the same skills that we offer could be used, um, for other kinds of aggression in a bar, like a bar fight, um. But when you're talking about one person targeting another person, it's not a fight. It's one person targeting another person. Um, so uh, there are kind of an endless number of things you can do, regarding you know, depending on how what your personality and how creative you're feeling that day. So, for example, um, if two people know each other, and um, you know, the vast majority of gender-based violence um, is committed by someone that the, um, victim knows. Uh, so we really encourage people who work in bars and restaurants, not just to pay attention to like the creeper who comes in and hits on women, but pay attention to people who come in together because that's, that's where most of it happens. Mm. Excuse me. Um, uh, in national surveys of sexual assault, um, of women and girls age 12 and up, Eighty-nine percent, meaning nine out of ten times, um, the attacker is someone that the person who's targeted knows. Um, so, the, you know, the um, what we've all been raised with about stranger danger and all of that kind of stuff is just um, really disproportionately emphasized. So we really um, make sure that everybody knows to pay attention to people who came in together.
0: Um, so if you... Oh well, I was going to say in, in that whole uh, PSA from back in the day about stranger uh-huh. danger. I mean, and honestly, uh, it, that doesn't that doesn't always apply. I mean, we're working in the service industry; everyone is a stranger, and and the you know the saying that a lot of restaurants have is everyone's a stranger until they become a friend or or something mm-hmm. like that. But everyone is a stranger. And yet, as adults, we'll say to kids, you know, stay away from strangers. But, you know, if you're working in any sort of sales capacity, that's all you do. You go talk to strangers. Right. And so th- right. that that doesn't quite cut it anymore. So it's, yeah. it's like we need tools to deal with it, not if it comes, but when it comes.
1: Right, right. So if you are dealing with, um, you know, two people, one person's targeting another person, you have a lot of options. Um, one is to... Um, address the aggressor, and one is to address the person who's being targeted. Um, And you can address either one of them um, directly about what's going on. And all direct means is um, that you acknowledge that something's possibly going on. It doesn't mean that you're saying, like, stop being such a jerk. A lot of people think that if you're going to be direct, you, you, you have to you have to basically bully the person into stopping, but that's not what we mean. Yeah, um, pa- we mean, power struggles uh, don't
0: seem to work all the time.
1: We're trying to so, deflate um, a power struggle. Right, exactly. So, you know, like, um, is everything okay here? Can you use any help? Oh, it doesn't really look like they're into it. you want to give them, you know, back off for a minute? Um, uh, are you okay with what's going on here? Um, all of those things are... Uh, low-key ways of checking in that are using a direct acknowledgement that it looks like there might be a problem. Um, the next strategy is a distraction and this is really just an unbounded possibilities because you can you can first of all you can distract either the person who's doing aggression or you can distract the person who's being targeted or both. Um, you can distract, especially if you work in food and beverage. You can distract them with food and beverage. Like, how's your meal? Do you want to try a special? You know, if they're a regular and you kind of know them, you could say, "Oh, I've got some new thing for you to try." Um, or, um, you know, so and so wants to talk to you. Um, it could be, uh, I I dropped my earring. Do you see it? It could be you have food in your teeth. It could be. Um, What song do you want me to put on next? Um, It it could be they're they're towing cars outside. Um, All of these things can create a break in the dynamic of what's going on long enough for the person who's being targeted to um, get away or get help. Um, It may just break the energy. Um, you know, it may mean that you engage, say, for example, the aggressor for a couple minutes, like, oh my gosh, you have that t shirt. I was at that concert. You know, that was, that was my favorite concert on that tour, blah, 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 blah. You know, and you could talk to them for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the third main technique that we um, teach is called delegate. And that means looking at is there someone better to handle it? So often, um, whether it's the aggressor or the target, um, often whoever they came in with, if, it's not, if that's not the aggressor, might be a good person to handle it. Like, hey, your friends are looking for you. Or, you know, hey, your pal seems a little out of line. Can you go talk to him? Um, uh, so um, it could be that you get their friends. It could be that you get someone else on your team who's really good at this. Um, it could be that you get someone else on your team who has identities that match either the aggressor or the target, um, who can engage with them maybe more easily. Could be that you get the door guy. Um, uh, so you really have a lot of choices depending on the dynamic of what's going on and and who's who's there and available. Even if it's like a harass, you know, even if um, say a manager or a coworker is ha- harassing a staff person. Like, um, you can delegate, like, hey, will you go take over for them? Take over that table or take over, you know, this prep um, just to get the person out of there for a minute.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So these are just a few um, ideas. And as I said, it's really limited only by your imagination because there are so many ways in. One of the most common misconceptions about active bystander intervention is that you have to either somehow magically get the person who's doing the aggression to see the light and like, all of a sudden understand that their behavior is problematic Hmm. and educate them or get them to kind of drop to their knees and apologize for being a crappy person. None of that is necessary. Um, What's necessary is um, to... Uh, increase the possibility of safety for the person being targeted, and that's it.
0: So, uh, a little, a little twist on this. Um, so, there are those times when the person who is acting uh, uh, poorly is actually the manager, the supervisor, the mm, owner. Absolutely. Um, and and if it's you know overt sexual harassment, or anything obviously mm-hmm. protected, then you have some uh, legal remedies there. But what if it's just something where yeah, uh, maybe it's not um, sexual or technically illegal, and, and, but it's just it's just not good. It's it's negative. It's it's degrading. It's um, uh, it humiliating, or or you know mm-hmm. you know something like that. But how can employees stand up to employers because they're afraid of getting fired, blacklisted, um, right. or or worse? But um, but how does an employee effectively stand up to an employer?
1: Um, Well, first of all, thank you for bringing that up because um, it is super important that not all of the things that are problematic are illegal, right? So we're not just talking about stopping the things that are illegal, but we're talking about everything um, uh, that crosses the line or is disrespectful or, as you put it, is degrading or humiliating or, you know, non-consensual or whatever. Um, So... Uh, you know, only you know in the situation that you're in what your options are. You know, only you know, for example, whether someone's tried to stop this person before or what the, you know, what are the chances you could get another job if you needed to? Like, there's a lot of factors in any given situation. But I would say a um, uh, couple of things that you can probably do. Um, are uh, number one is talk to other people who may have been targeted in your workplace. Um, You know, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, victim-blaming and um, other things that keep people who are targeted silent. Um, But if you break the silence and talk to others, you'll probably find that you're not the only person who's been targeted. And that can be super helpful in... um, Number one, getting support, and number two, in crafting a strategy for addressing it, that you don't have to um, do it one one on one. You're not the only person in that position. Um, and I also encourage folks. And again, the only you know if you're in a, when you're in a situation, kind of what the risks are and what the benefit might be. But I do also encourage people to just simply set a limit to say, like you know. Please don't touch me when you pass me behind the bar. Um, Or, um, uh, uh, you know, look up here, my, you know, you don't need to look at my breast, look up here. Um, You know, and it can be um, very low key. I mean, in the tone that I just said it, it doesn't have to be a major confrontation. Um, But just simply being clear about what your boundaries are and what's troubling you. Is the beginning of dealing with it. One thing about that is, if you make a request like that, you know, like please don't touch me or please take your hand off of me, and the person refuses to do it, you have a lot of good information about um, what they're capable of and and their disrespect. Um, If if So sometimes it's worth it just to set a limit to see how they're going to handle it Mm -hmm. um, so that you know, okay, what am I, what am I, how big is what I'm up against here? Um, uh, But um, when you're thinking about setting a limit, it can be very overwhelming in part because our culture does put so much blame on the person who's being harassed. Um, But if you simply think about what do I want to happen here and then say that out loud, That's what you need to say. So it's, you know, take your hand off me. Please don't touch me. um, Please, you know, don't call me at home on the weekends. Please, uh, you know, I'm not going to go on a date with you. Please stop asking. Uh, You know, whatever it is that you want to happen, you want them to do or not do, just say that in a sentence. That can be super helpful. And then you go from there.
0: And it I, I don't know if I would be projecting this, but would you recommend that people document, document, document as well?
1: Oh, document, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let me just say, before I go to that, what I just said is simple but hard. I'm not saying, like, just tell them, you know, cut it out. Like, it, it's a simple formula, but it is extremely difficult to do. So I'm not, like... Saying like, "Oh, just do that; it's no big deal," or, um, you know, I know it's difficult. There's a whole because we, we get in our heads. Is... We
0: we think, "Oh, it, it was, maybe I'm making too big a deal of this. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I did something, or I don't want to hurt their feelings." These are all right. the thoughts that that we all think about, and we need to stop it. There needs to be a clear line, and you know, and no one's going to cross this line.
1: Right. Yeah. And, you know, I don't blame anybody who has those thoughts or feelings because the blame lies on society for, um, uh, for creating those dynamics for putting those messages into our heads. You know, did I maybe do something to cause it? Did, you know, is it my fault because I didn't say no soon enough? Um, you know, is there something wrong with me? I want them to like me or I don't want them to get mad at me. Um, those are all societal messages. They are not your fault, um, but they can be hella hard to overcome. Um, so, I just want to acknowledge that I put out some things there that are simple, but they're very, very difficult.
0: Well, and and I know we're running short on time, so I want to be real quick with this. But I, I kind of okay. want to I want to call out one little elephant in the room. Um, cause you know, like right in the beginning of this, uh, interview, we, we talked about that, you know, we all believe that most people are good. Most people want to do the right thing. And so then, you know, there is a fear that if we react, that we are actually overreacting. If I were to, if you and I were working together and, uh, in a tight bar and I'm going by with a tray and my leg bumped against your leg, um, if you were to suddenly turn around and tell me this will not happen again, or you know, call the line, is that overreacting? How do we, how do we manage that dynamic as well? Because we could easily take one problem and swing it to the other side as well. And not, not to diminish the uh, the need for safety of people, but we don't need to create more problems when we're trying to solve a problem. You know what I mean?
1: yeah I think the pendulum is so far to the other side that we're not at risk of that. Good. You know what I mean? We have um centuries and centuries of sexual violence and rape culture. And yeah, if there's one miscommunication where I'm like, Dude, cut it out, and you're like, I didn't do a thing. Um, that's not going that's that there's no danger of the pendulum going too far to the other side. We have a lot of repair due.
0: Okay, good. Um, so I'm going to uh, dive into our wrap-up question series, and okay. and I okay. and, and I think you actually answered this already earlier, but uh, but we'll mm-hmm. see. So uh, if you could be queen of the beer world for a day, what would you change? <laughs> what would I change? What would you change?
1: Um, well, I would have to be not only queen, but I would have to be. I would have to have magic powers. Um, If I had magic powers, I would just wave a wand and, you know, have everybody treat everybody respectfully. But I guess if I was queen and I didn't have magic powers, I would just have to make a decree that everybody should respect everybody. And, you know,
0: I don't know what I'd do if it doesn't work. Off with her head. You're the queen.
1: That's why I need the magic powers. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, uh, If... Uh, if this was your last day on earth, what would you Uh choose? What would you choose for your last meal and your last beer?
1: Oh my God. Um, uh, what would I choose for my last meal? Well, you know, here's the truth. I would just eat chocolate. (laughs) That's all I really need. (laughs)
0: Um, yeah, uh, Yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it.
1: And I would let one of my really beer-savvy friends pick the beer for me.
0: Okay. Perfect.
1: Because I'm not beer-savvy enough to pick the right beer.
0: Well, you know, there's a lot of diversity in beer, so it's hard to pick the wrong one. Right. right. Um, So at this point, I normally ask guests, why does good beer matter? But I kind of want to change that question to you. Um, Just Mm -hmm. within the context of what's going on, in the context of this conversation, but how can good beer lead to solving this problem?
1: Mm. Good beer brings people together.
0: Um,
1: And so in in bringing people together, uh, I think we can solve the problem because... uh, we have an opportunity to promote respect and connection and um you know undo abuses of power and uh
0: disrespect i'm gonna let that just linger for a second that was perfect okay (laughs) um yeah if if anyone listening Rewind for the last thirty seconds and listen to that again. This is this is what we need in this industry. Um, for anyone who's listening, how can they connect? How can they learn? How can they sign up for classes that that you're teaching?
1: It's very straightforward. We are at safebars.org.
0: Excellent. And th- so you can you
1: can find our social and our email and our phone number and all of that there.
0: Wonderful. Uh, and last, easy question. Uh, do you have a call to action or a final words of wisdom for anyone listening?
1: Um, when is this going to run?
0: I'm sorry, say that again?
1: Can you tell me when this is going to run? Because I have a call to action, but it's not ready yet.
0: Oh, um, uh, <laughs> off the top of my head while we're recording, um, I'm going to say a month and a half from now. So we are probably beginning of July, I'm, I'm guessing.
1: OK, um, so contact us. We are um, releasing PACT, which is an, um, an ethics uh, agreement for people in the craft beer industry to um, sign on and learn how they can make their
0: corner of the world more safe, welcoming, and respectful. And, and that's, what is that called again? It's called PACT. Okay. Um, and it stands for
1: promise of awareness, compassion, and trust.
0: Okay. Can uh, people learn more about that on the website as well when this airs? Yeah. In six weeks, it should be up. It's not up yet. Okay. <laughs> um, we are just working on
1: it and now we're speeding it up because of what's happening. Um, but it, by six weeks, it should be
0: up. Wonderful. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for coming on the Good Brew Matters sure. podcast and talking about this. Um, you know, the, it, it, I knew this was poignant. I knew this was uh, uh, important. And then everything happened. And and sadly, I was right. And so thank you for coming on yeah. and sharing this. Hopefully, hopefully more people reach out and, and learn how to deal with things more effectively than they have in the past.
1: Thanks for, um, you know, elevating this issue.
0: Oh, the pleasure is mine. Anyway, thank you uh, again for coming on and have a wonderful day.
1: Okay, take care. Bye.
0: This story is about an unfortunate reality that sadly exists. It's for all people of all genders and backgrounds who have ever suffered at the hand of another. This episode is dedicated to those in the past, the present, and the future who've passionately entered the beer industry, but instead were met with mental, emotional, and physical harm. This needs to end, and it needs to end now. In the next episode, we take a look at beer law and discover what every brewery really needs to know. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better beer education so you can level up your game. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters podcast and go to goodbeermatters.net for more resources and next steps. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.